Happy Thursday. It's Thursday, the 18th of February. This is episode 201 of Back from the Brink. That's right, 201. Hard to believe we've made it this far. Um, but we appreciate you. Thank you for uh, listening. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. As we left the radio show today, We uh, she played us out with some monkeys, you know, and... Uh, it's funny, for a, a group that was basically a TV group that was put together by producers for that show, um, they basically put two actors and two musicians together to sort of make the, the monkeys. And um, at least early on, they were recording other people's songs, and very often other people played instruments. But by the end of it, they were playing their own instruments and, and writing some songs. And, uh, you know, famously, some of their, their hits were written by... Um, Neil Diamond, so uh, 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 he's he's even gone and recorded them in his long recording history, so you can go back and listen to some of the songs that he had written for the Monkees and hear his version of them if you want to do a little searching around on on your uh, Apple Music or your Spotify account and uh, hear what he has to say. But, uh, yeah, I remember as a kid watching the Monkees on a Saturday mornings. Uh, at least I think it was Saturday mornings, but, uh, you know, and dreaming of what it would be like to be a rock and roll star living in a house with a bunch of my friends and making music and, and having hijinks because that's what they did was they had hijinks every week. There was something new and goofy that happened and a lot of it was so incredibly unrealistic that, you know, but hey, when you're, you know, 12 year old or 10 year old or whatever and you're watching this you're thinking that that's the life man I want to be a musician of course when you actually had to sit down and study your instrument and learn to play it then it was less interesting but uh, yeah I was never I was too uh too itchy to 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 sit still and practice for hours at anything and so um I piddled around with lots of things and here in my shack out back studio I have a couple guitars and couple keyboards and drum machine <laughs> and I piddle around I still piddle around not not particularly good at any of it but uh uh you know it 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 entertains me so um not sure how I got onto it or why I was thinking about it but uh I was thinking about the old Mission Impossible TV series it launched back in 1966 according to the fine folks on uh uh Wikipedia so I was probably not watching it live but I watched it in reruns for years um and it was also on up until like 73 the original series so it ran for a while you know a good 7 years there um but uh, you know Peter Graves was the was sort of the lead and then they had a variety of people kind of swapping in and out um, over that time period. Specifically, I remember that Leonard Nimoy, and it was the first time I had seen him in anything other than Star Trek, uh, you know, did at least a season, if not a couple seasons, as one of the, the folks. And that show was so cool because it it took what was, you know, special effects or, or uh, Hollywood makeup to the extreme and obviously well beyond what they were actually even capable of at that time, but it opened the imagination. Nowadays, they actually do things very much like this. But, you know, the guy would be standing there and, and, and then he would, like, reach up under his chin and pull off a rubber mask and suddenly he was not the guy you thought he was and they had special things to make his voice sound different. And and it was very, you know, very James Bondy neat trick spy kind of thing that was kind of cool. Um, 
Of course, that was all faked with the, you know, original actor playing both the character he was supposed to be playing and the supposed mock-up of him. And then they would cut the scenes just right to make it look like, you know, Leonard Nimoy was pulling off a rubber mask and it was really him underneath there instead of the actor playing the, you know, the guest star of that week or whatever. Uh, but it was always, uh, always very interesting to watch what was going on. And uh, and I, they're cool high-tech stuff. I always like Greg Morris because his character, uh, Barney, was the guy who was sort of like the 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 wizard at making things happen and getting things done. He he seemed to me like the cool guy. So uh, not that the other guys weren't cool, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So uh, you know, and then it got picked up again in the eighties um, uh, for a period of time with uh, um, uh, Peter Graves again, but different set of characters and behind him. I think they did a couple seasons then. And then obviously everybody knows the Tom Cruise series O movies um, where uh, uh, he is now the guy running the IMF force, the impossible missions force, which, you know, by its very name is, is uh, kind of cool and out there because they were impossible. So, you know, looking back, if you if you can go find them, I have no idea if they're streaming online or anything, but those original series of uh, of um, the uh, Mission Impossible were just loads of fun and, uh, you know, well worth watching. It's funny because the early ones were literally they were in black and white, and I think they almost look better in black and white just because uh, uh, it, it, it sort of puts them in the era. Yeah, I'm just checking here. Leonard Nimoy played Paris, and he was in seasons four and five. Uh, but uh, Greg Morris, who played Barney, was in all seven original seasons, so he was uh, he was there. And Peter Lupus played uh, Willie. He was also in all uh, seven seasons. Peter Graves joined them in season two. I didn't even realize that he wasn't. Mr. Phelps wasn't in the first season. Uh, Stephen Hill played Dan Briggs. And he was uh, he was there before Jim Phelps, so I don't even remember that 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 first season. That would have been 1966. So interesting, interesting stuff. But uh, yeah, and a lot of the plot lines obviously back then revolved around you know us and the the you know rogue Nazis still out there post World War II, and then you know Cold War adversaries. There were lots of Russians that they were after, Russian spies and stuff. But uh, um, yeah, it, uh, you know, they they uh, kind of showed us what was going on around, you know, secret stuff going on around the world, and we had to be careful. So it's interesting, interesting. And, you know, in reading here, apparently they, uh, they went to more um, uh, domestic settings over time because it was cheaper, and, the, uh, and Paramount gained more control over the production. Uh, and so they wanted to cut some costs and not travel and not do you know, off into exotic locales, which I think was also part of it was kind of cool because you got to get a little glimpse of, you know, uh, supposedly, I mean, I don't know if it was all done in studios or whether they were actually doing stuff online, but, uh, you know, them over in other places. So you got a little bit of a, you know, this is before there was a lot of travel TV and real live TV and I'm going to buy a house in Copenhagen. And, you know, we get to do those kind of TV shows. So anyway... It was cool stuff. Martin Lando was was a big guy in that too. He was uh, one of the ones, and 
Anyway, it was, uh, you know, fun, fun show. It was definitely escapist television. And, uh, and during these times of lockdown, it's fun to sometimes go back and see what is, what's there, you know? I mean, if you're a fun of the sci-fi genre, a show that was on, uh, kind of opposite time frame as, um, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek's Deep Space Nine series, which was after the reboot, um, of, you know, the next generation, uh, um, uh, and it revolved around a, a stationary target, uh, was, um, was uh, Babylon 5, which itself was also around a space station. So they weren't traveling off into the distance quite so much, but set in kind of a different type of, you know, universe. Um, I've just been watching Babylon 5 again for the first time. I I had not watched it when it was um, originally out. And it's actually a pretty interesting series in that it was done, um, the the, the outline of the entire arc of all the major characters was planned out before the first episode. And so it was planned to be a five-year series, assuming that they would, you know, not get canceled before then. And uh, and they had written uh, outs for all the major characters in case actors had to leave or, or change, which several did over the course of five years. And uh, and then they brought in new characters to continue on that particular storyline or to, to tie up that plot device as they went through it. And... Uh, it's interesting because it does have a sense of cohesiveness in terms of of the stories, although it's very clear that uh, they almost got canceled in, after season four, and it's very clear that they had kind of set up season four to be a finale, and then season five, you know, kind of wrapped up some other ideas and things that had been going on since they ended up getting picked up and doing that fifth season after all. Um, and it's very clear that season four, if you're watching it, when it gets to the end, you're like, oh, I thought this was going to be the end. And then they kind of set it up to go on a little bit further. So, um, so you know, it's not quite smooth. That fifth season stands apart from the first four. But uh, if you like sci-fi and you can get past the sort of 90s-styled special effects, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica, or Battlestar Galactica, um, uh, Babylon 5 is is actually really uh, well done. Um and worth watching. So uh, here's Aaron. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, so this uh, uh, Taylor's um, uh, is it Taylor's Country Kitchen? Oh my God, I forgot the name of this wonderful restaurant. Um, it just put uh, my anyway. All I can think about is bacon. <laughs> Because it smells like bacon yeah. in the parking yeah. lot of the radio station. Terry's Times I've diner. walked out Thank of that you. studio in the morning, yeah, and, and Terry's Diner is like, holy moly, it's insanely good. <laughs> Coming out of there in the morning, yeah, it's like, oh, those people are evil. I, you'd swear they had a big fan, like, blowing smell across the parking lot. You know, especially for all those people, because there's a gym there, and people coming out of the gym in the morning, their morning workout, and that's what you come out to smell. Holy moly, that's evil. Brilliant marketing. Oh, it's so yeah, good. it is. Yeah, yeah. As long as your tex your 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 electricity isn't coming from Texas, so you can run that fan, man. <laughs> Blow that smell yeah. out across the parking lot, and Olu, oh, wow, it yeah, it's just so good, so good. You know, I th- sometimes think the smell of bacon is 
is better than the actual bacon. And bacon's pretty darn good. But the smell is just so inviting. It is. It it's is. Just it like, just smells it yeah. smells I mean, amazing. even if you're not a bacon eater, you've got to admit that that just smells incredibly good. That cured, smoky, oh, ooh, ah, mm. <laughs> Yes, but then you got to remember that, that, that I recently learned, or re- recently learned how significant it is, that, that all processed meats, including bacon and ham, all processed meats are carcinogenic. Oh, yeah. They're, they're all considered a carcinogen. Yeah. That says well, they, I mean, that they impact, they they're make it more likely for you to get stomach and intestinal cancers. Yeah, they're just about everything that that we eat that has had any kind of processing on it has carcinogens in it to some extent. So, um, you know, we we have to trust the 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 powers that be that that it's safe for human consumption. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making it available for human consumption. But Todd, that's uh, just not true. I mean, they they you know about they make it. It's it's a carcinogen. It's been classed as a carcinogen. Um, well, there's carcinogens not... in it. If you smoke your own meats, there's still carcinogens in it because of the fact that there's smoke. So essentially, anything that has a smoky flavor, even if you use liquid smoke in your meal, it's it's it. You have captured something that has a carcinogenic carcinogenic effect in it. And a lot of the preservatives that are put into other foods, also if taken in enough quantity, is are are, are carcinogenic. But they've said. That you know, for the amounts that were the, the small amounts that are in the food product that we're that you're eating, that it's safe, and we're trusting them that that's the case. Well, and part of me is like, well, cancer sucks, and I get that, but bacon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it tastes really good. Now, I don't eat; I eat it a couple of times a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, maybe maybe a half dozen times a year, I'll have at the most, I'll have bacon. Um, and so I'm not going to worry about it. And I don't eat lunch meat and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's, uh, it's bacon. And I don't like ham. I mean, I'll eat it, but I'll never, ever choose it for myself. Yeah. I'll eat bacon. You know? It's one of those things that's weird, you know? Like, you see somebody like, um, you know, these these uh, centigenarians who say, well, yeah, I have a glass of whiskey and and, and I smoke a cigar a day. And you go, and they live to be a hundred. And other people who who you know eat pine nuts their whole life, and they keel over it, you know, at sixty two. You know, it's just exactly. I, I don't know. I I think your your numbers up when your numbers up, and you try to you know stay healthy and eat a balanced diet, which I've not been particularly healthy. I'm overweight. I know it, and uh, you know I'm trying to do better, <laughs> trying to do better and eat better, uh, and and you know maybe put some of those years back on that I took off by putting on some of the fat that I did. So. Um, you know, but you never know. Yeah. You never know. Um, you know, but you got to live a little, right? So a yeah, little bit of bacon. Yeah, you got to live. And I don't yeah. really drink alcohol anymore. And I don't really, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't smoke. Mm-hmm. I don't do drugs. But bacon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And being a vegan made me diabetic. So bacon. Yeah. <laughs> like i'm gonna bounce back i'm gonna bounce back with the good stuff so yeah you know and i you know i don't know if you've ever looked into this i there i know that there's a a a big thing about cured bacon and uncured bacon and uh you know i mean basically it's bacon is pork belly so you've heard them talk about pork belly futures and stuff you know 
anytime yeah. somebody who doesn't know anything about stock says, yeah, I've got some pork belly. Um, uh, but that's, that's bacon is what they're talking about. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I'm honestly, you know, in fact, I'm sitting here trying to figure out, you know, okay, so what is the difference? I mean, I I know some people won't, will only eat uncured bacon because they say it's better for you. But from what I understand, it's basically that they're both cured. It's just one of them uses sodium nitrite and the other one doesn't. So I think the nitrite is actually what's the carcinogenic, is the the element that's carcinogenic. Ah, okay. So it's, and it's in the curing process because it prevents bacterial growth. Uh, but nitrates and nitrites have gotten a, gotten a bad, okay, bad rap ever since the World Health Organization announced that processed meats might cause colorectal cancer in 2015. Okay, so I, I like how they phrase that: might cause colorectal cancer. Yeah, yeah. might. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know, chewing on dandelions, you know, might too. So I don't know. I guess I won't <laughs> do that anymore. Uh, I always think of that, uh, you know, airplane. Well, I picked a bad week to go up sniffing glue. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Is there really a bad week to give up sniffing glue? <laughs> um, that movie is so ridiculous. It is. So it is. Funny. It is. Every once in a while. You know, if you haven't watched it every once in a while, and it's probably best to watch it, like, if you're a little sleep deprived. <laughs> if you're just a little punchy. Sit down and watch Airplane if you haven't watched or you haven't watched it in a while. Um, yeah, you, if you feel like, you know, you've been down and you just need a good belly laugh, that show is just, I mean, the jokes come at you so fast and so furiously in that show that you have to watch it three times to catch them all. You know, it's yeah. just, it is so jam-packed with just ludicrous situations and scenes and, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, lifting a glass of water up to your forehead and splashing water all over yourself and saying, oops, I got a drinking problem. Yes, you know? exactly. And then that gag, they run that gag through the whole thing, the you know. The whole movie. Yeah. yeah. You must be joking. Yeah. I'm not, and don't call me Shirley, you know. A hospital? What is it? Yeah. It's a big building. <laughs> where they With take sick people. But that's not but important, that's not important now. now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is so so stupid, but yeah, it is. It is. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a pilot. Yeah, yeah you gotta watch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The kid. <laughs> My dad says you don't work hard. You just take it easy through most of the season. <laughs> Listen, kid. <laughs> I work hard every single night. Forty-eight minutes. <laughs> Underneath his uniform, he's got the Lakers uniform. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. He's got the shorts uh, on. Yeah, oh, and that's man. back when they actually wore these short shorts. Oh yeah, their shorts look like boxer briefs. Back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah, you know, and just the visual of Kareem sitting in a co-pilot's, you know, and his head's like hitting the ceiling. <laughs> it's like yes. They intentionally made everything as small as they could to make him look even larger than he is, and he's you know seven <laughs> foot two. The man is you know really tall. And probably has lived most of his life as an you know as an adult in, in you know once he got out of college and was making money probably got like you know custom custom designs on and, and everything to make sure that he has a world that he can kind of fit into you know I feel bad for people that big you know there aren't that yeah. many of them but uh, but can you imagine being that tall and and your job is you know uh, a trash can you know a trash man or or a, a plumber or something is like. 
how do you spend you know you must spend a ton of your money on like custom tailoring to get clothes that fit and and finding a bed that you can sleep on and you know yes and paying there's a lot a of issues for with your that. shoes yeah yeah i mean it's it's one thing when you're you know making you know millions of dollars because you're you know a superstar athlete but there's there are large people like that who are just living a normal existence and so they can't afford to go to all that stuff you know yeah. yeah. So yeah, my best friend, her husband is six seven, and yeah, and uh, that's tall enough that he's probably bumping into all kinds of issues like that. All kinds of issues like that. I've yeah. never asked him about his shoes, but uh, maybe if he the standard size shoe, I think it goes up to thirteen. So if you're bigger than thirteen, mm-hmm. then you have to get go to a special store to get your shoes. Yeah. Well, I I'm at a twelve, twelve and a half, and I um. I have when I go looking for shoes very often, I've seen them go up to like fifteen or sixteen. So they do that ah, now more than they used to. Oh, that's good. Um, oh, okay. But you know, if you're up over fifteen or sixteen, then yeah, I suppose you probably got to order them custom. Although I would think that if you go directly to the the Adidas and Nikes people, and you know, and I don't know whoever you know, uh, uh, Floorshine and stuff, that they probably make a limited number of some larger shoes if you ask for it. And they do have those big and tall stores now for guys that are like that. Yes. But yeah, but, I didn't necessarily uh, think but, that you needed to get them special made. You just have to go to a special store. Right, yeah, yeah. Where at one time, I'm, I'm undoubtedly, probably not that many years ago, they had to be custom made for you because they don't make them that big, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the factory store places go, huh, that's, you know, we, we don't sell many of those, so we just don't do it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think about that, you know, this, the, the, the range of human sizes from the smallest to the largest, you know. I mean, if you're a really small person, you end up buying kids' clothes all the time. And it's like, great, that's what I want to grow up. You know, as an adult, I want to walk around in garanimals. Um, <laughs> you know, problems you and I don't have, right? But But you think about it, you know, human beings come in all different sizes. I mean, there's people who are... You know, under four foot tall, and there's people over seven foot tall. You know, it's just it's it's stunning the range of humanity in terms of size. Yep, true. So, and with each with each, you know, if you fall sort of within the norms, it's a little easier. You know, and you 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 don't really realize some of the issues that somebody who's you know taller or smaller than you, you know, like even just getting in your car. The cars are adjustable to some extent in terms of. You know how far from the pedals and stuff you are, but uh, you know, I mean, I know there are some cars that that we that that we've been in that where my wife is five foot tall and the pedals are right on the verge of being uncomfortable for her to reach. You know. Yes, but they do make pedal extenders. They do. They're, yeah, but but things that you know, like I would never even think about that if I didn't have to, right? You know, but somebody does. Yeah, the pedal extenders, or you know, and and they they you know they've got the um, uh, some cars allow you to increase or decrease the distance the wheel is from you. Not only can you go up and down, but you can go in and out, right? So you can push yes. it in, so you can get closer, so that when the airbag goes off, it doesn't like you know flatten you against the chair. Um, you know, because that's an issue. In fact, you know that's why they the second generation airbags. I know they've all been recalled at one point or another. It seems like over the last couple of years. But a lot of the second-generation airbags were designed specifically to have a sensor underneath the seat to determine what weight range the person was in so that when it, it, when it extends the airbag, it goes out at different speeds. And so for larger, 
heavier people, it'll go out faster. And for smaller people, it'll go out slower because there were people who were getting uh, badly damaged concussions and stuff, especially smaller, petite people, because the airbag came out so fast and they had to sit close because they had to reach the pedals that it was hurting them. It was it was causing them more trouble than the accident they were in. Oh, my gosh. And so that's why uh, second, you know, the, the, the early airbags um, uh, were fairly quickly replaced by second generation airbags that, with a sensor under the chair that says you can really we can release this thing at multiple different strengths. And because uh, uh, we're hurting people, you know, you'd hate to have like a, a little fender bender in an intersection and have almost dam- no damage to the car and end up in the hospital with a concussion and, you know, facial damage because an airbag popped you in the head in the face but that was happening because yeah, they come out at like 200 miles an hour yeah yeah and uh and so um uh, so anyway they the, the new gener newer generations will come out at different differing speeds depending on on uh the size of the person sitting behind them combination of how close it is they because they know you know the chair knows how close it is setting forward or backward and then the weight in the chair so so we could be safer. Yay, us. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So anyway, so what are some of the news of the day? Well, I was flipping around, looking and seeing what's here. We talked about the ERCOT board members, um, and you talked about the water shortage in Texas, which, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people had thought about. But, you know, it's like, yeah, if you rely on your pipes to get you water and the pipes are all frozen. Um, that's a problem. So, uh, and if you don't live in, in climates where that happens, it's not something that crosses your mind. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I live in Houston. I don't worry about frozen pipes. Are you crazy? Like, um, well, you got to worry about it this weekend. Yeah, um, I worry about hurricanes and floods. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, see, apparently a documentary has been released, uh, talking about Allen versus Farrow and it's, uh, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow and how, how totally awful that whole familial situation was and how it disintegrated. Apparently it pretty much, uh, dismantles the myth of Woody Allen. So I didn't know there was a myth of Woody Allen, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's, for me, it's not incongruous to say that he's a terrible human being and a comic genius at the same time. Um, cause it seems like that's pretty much the case is that he's a comedic genius and, and a, and a phenomenal director and a terrible human being, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you know, and, uh, I think that, you know, a, a variety of actors who used to sort of line up to say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to be in a Woody Allen movie? Cause he's, he's, he's uh, an icon are saying, I don't know if I want to work with that guy because although he is a, icon in terms of the product that he has created he seems like a terrible human being i don't know if i want to support him or be around him and so um you know kudos to them for stepping up and saying i don't want to work with the guy you know but you know if somebody says i want to work with a guy i wouldn't hold that against them either that's their business but just be aware you know this is who he is so you know so um you know one thing that we have we have not talked about is the death of rush limbaugh uh, he it's lost funny. his that battle. Was the, with... That was the next thing I was going to bring up too. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Um, he he lost his battle with pancreatic cancer, and you know, of course, um, you know, the left is is giddy and you know, telling him to you know, saying things like rotten hell and good riddance and all that stuff. But you uh-huh. know, love him or hate him, 
uh, he he revived a dying uh, AM radio. AM radio was absolutely yeah. on its deathbed before Rush Limbaugh came around. Yeah, he, and he created it. sort of the the talk radio that we know of today. Yes. So um, yes. I had read it was, uh, and, and I'm looking at an article here saying it was advanced lung cancer, not pancreatic. Oh, it's lung cancer. cancer. Okay, I thought it yeah. was pancreatic cancer. At, at any rate, it was so. cancer. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. He's dust is dead. Um, yes, uh, and I and I didn't mean to kind of chuckle as I said that, but I mean, you know, the, the, he, you know, it, it doesn't matter why you died. Yeah, you had you had a horrible cancer and you died. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I was reading about that the other day, and uh, there was one line that that struck me as interesting. So I did a little bit of research on it, and apparently in 1987, the FCC dropped the equal. Um, uh, equal time uh, requirement. And that basically opened the door for somebody like Rush Limbaugh to come in and just spout the perspective of the the right or the left or whatever. Because pr- prior to that, when you were using public airwaves, they were required, every station was required to, to provide uh, a balanced and equal time report to both right and left. So if you had somebody like Rush Limbaugh on you had to have somebody who had opposing views on for equal amount of time uh, on the station. And um, and that was dropped in 1987. The FCC said uh, uh, that they weren't going to go forward with that anymore. Interestingly, the, uh, the, the Senate and the House have talked about perhaps reinstating something like that as a law as opposed to being a, uh, an executive branch policy because it never was actual law. Um, but they well, it was administrative enough... law, right? You have yeah. an FCC license; you have to follow it. So, right, yeah. And so, uh, it's it's interesting to see that that you know that change sort of ushered in, like you said, a rebirth of AM radio, and and I think also sort of created part of the the polarization in the political climate that we see today as a result, because you know no longer when you listen to station. Insert station call letters you you might want KCAA, just because that's the station we're on. So listen to us. But um, uh, you know, you don't necessarily hear both sides of the story. Whereas at one point in time, you did. But now there's no reason for them to do that. They can they can espouse whatever uh, po- political perspectives they want. And I understand the freedom of speech aspect of wanting to do that, but I also understand that they're using public airwaves and that, that maybe that they should be forced to do something a little bit more balanced um, because our society wasn't quite so volatile prior to that. Of course, these days, I think more people get their their uh, polarization from online sources rather than radio. But, uh, you know. I, 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 my gut at my core level, I, I oppose the fairness doctrine. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm, a, I'm an advocate for free speech. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I understand that argument, and I certainly think that, that having a debate about it on the floor of the Senate and the floor of the House would be engaging and interesting. You know, yeah. now we have more choices because we have people can, you know, go to podcasts and that sort of thing. And, and so every man, uh, you know, the generic every man can start his own podcast like we're doing and – and talk mm-hmm. about whatever he or she wants. So, right. um, you know, that wasn't... And it's not the public airwaves, per se. Yeah, in 1987, that wasn't the case. So, right. um, you know, I yeah. think that it's the polarization. I, I blame two things. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I think the 24-hour news cycle... 
I'm sorry? <laughs> I said Facebook. Blah. Yeah. It's it's a 24-hour news cycle, and it's, right. um, uh, it is social media. Yeah. And, the and, and to be honest, I agree media. with you completely. I, I was just exploring the idea that, that maybe it, you know, had a causative effect on some of the polarization and that maybe we should consider that. But I actually agree with you and I'm with you. I, I, I don't like too much government oversight and, and, and impinging on free speech. And so when all else is equal, I think you fall on the side, or at least we're better off if we fall on the side of don't limit free speech. Um, you know, yes, but, but, but I think it's a reasonable question to say it's public airwaves. What limits should we put on that? And, and what, restrictions should we put on that if we're going to allow people to license it so yeah and 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 now that we do people do have other options and right do have places where they can they can have free speech is the argument of of pull of reversing the fairness doctrine um is it still a valid argument because at the time uh there were no other options right. you just had radio and you had print and television yeah you didn't, but, or is the, or, was or, controlled by just a few networks. There weren't, you know, even on cable, um, I mean, CNN was dominant, um, but it, it wasn't like all the different options that you have today. Yeah. But that could also be made as an argument for maybe that's why we should have the fairness doctrine again, so that so that we ensure that at least one source of information is balanced as opposed to the you know internet and podcasts and social media and things like that where yeah. it's not because i don't know that i would want i certainly wouldn't want i think i i wouldn't even say i don't know that i wouldn't want i don't want the fairness doc- doctrine applied to the internet and podcasts you know yeah. i think there's some issues with social media that we need to address and put some con- some constraints on what they do and how they do it but but that's too much of a blanket approach so um uh, yeah, well, and, and so you and I are, are actually agreeing. I don't want yeah. the fairness doctrine applying to podcasts. And I mean, that's just no. Um, yeah. Um, I also don't want our, our world being controlled by algorithms that that keep us only hearing one side. Right. You know, and that's what's happening on social media. Yeah. No, that's why I think that, that social media, we, we yeah, again, I don't like the idea of restrictions on businesses in general as a rule of thumb but i think social media has gotten to the point where it we need to put some some fences around it and say this is what you do and this is what you don't do this is what we'll let you do because um you know we, we've seen too many negative impacts uh from the effects of of that siloing through those algorithms and so um you know some adjust adjustments maybe need to be mandated uh, they're doing an interesting thing right now because of some law changes. Uh, there, uh, I had read yesterday that Facebook is in Australia running without any ads, um, uh, which Seriously? I thought was interesting. Yeah. Now, um, I think that was a temporary thing. Obviously, they have to create revenue somehow. But I wonder if maybe they do ads, but they just go back to do generalized ads instead of ads that are targeted to see if that maybe is um, – uh, you know, so how that works for them financially. Um, be interesting to see over time, you know, because you can do experiments in smaller markets, right, to try to do things. And I say smaller, but, you know, population-wise, Australia. Yeah. yeah. By population, Australia is, is a smaller market than than 
you know, the rest of the world, <laughs> for example. Oh, man. Um, I flip to a page and on the right hand side, you know, there's often a lot of like ads and stuff. And there's one that talks about melting belly fat and right below it is urologists. And then they show a sort of cutaway of a prostate check. And I'm like, really? That's what you're going to put up on my page right now. Thank you. Newsweek. <laughs> Newsweek magazine. That's the ad they put up. They must know I'm a man of certain age. Those targeted ads by golly. Yeah, not yes. something I necessarily want to see in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> or any time, for that matter, frankly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Exactly. So, well, you know, so, you know, love him or hate him, he changed the face of radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, and you know, just his his style, his bombastic personality and style was uh, was iconic. It really was. You know, and, you know, he also did something that, um, he, you know, the, the structure of his show, if you've you know, ever listened to it, for the most part, he wasn't having conversations with somebody else in his studio. His conversation was with the listeners and he held up both ends of it for the most part, which was interesting. It was different, you know, like even even um, um, the king of all media, Howard Stern has people in his studio that he talks to and you're kind of like feeling like you're sitting a in a room with multiple people, but he didn't work that way. He talked straight to you as, as in his, in the, the structure of his show for the most part, which was, yes. I mean, he had guests on and stuff and he did do that and did interviews, but, but by and large, he really wasn't an interviewer. He was a, an editorial espouser and he, yeah. And he spoke to the directly to people which I think was part of his appeal, you know? He talked to you like he was your neighbor, you know? that You know, that loudmouth neighbor who stands over the fence and, and, and tells you what's wrong with the world. Uh, <laughs> that was him. That was him. He's the guy next door. Uh, and he, he notably had some struggles in his life, you know? He, he uh, had a um, uh, problem with some prescription drugs at one point in time after a surgery, I think. He got hooked on on some drugs and, and, you know, went through that and he did it very publicly. It's, it's a did. difficult life to do things out in public like that all the time. It is, especially when there are so many people who are rooting for your failure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's you very know. polarizing. So yeah, there was definitely people who were, who were cheering when anything bad happened to him, which is just mean, you know, that said, he didn't go out of his way to, to avoid cheering when, when people he didn't politically like had uh, rough times either. So, you know, but he was able to take it as well as he dished it out. I think he didn't seem terribly thin skinned like, uh, you know, some people. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, love him or hate him. Uh, you know, he, he certainly defined an era and and without ever being a politician, drove um, uh, conservative politics in a direction for a period of time. He, he wielded a lot of political power. So, you know, he God did. bless him and his family, and and uh, and uh, may they um, all remember him fondly. So, so here's a here's a um, a frustrating, scary thing: eleven million counterfeit N95 masks have been seized by the Department of Homeland Security. Oh man, you're thinking like, well, and how many got through? Exactly. That's exactly you know, what I was thinking. 
All it takes is some bozo to stamp N95 on it, and voila, it's an N95 mask. Not. Yeah, you know, let's bring some manufacturing home. Uh, you know, it may cost us a little more, but uh, let's bring manufacturing th of things yeah. like this home because we cannot control the supply chain, obviously, when it's when it's mm -hmm. being handled in, in China. And, you know, how many times have we been given shoddy um, substandard products from China? You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, it happens all the time. You know, it's like it's horrifying when you find out, you know, that that uh, N95 masks aren't really N95 masks and that the food that you, you know, the dog food you buy for your dogs got bits of plastic scrap in it that could kill it. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, it was put together someplace where they just don't care. They'll throw anything in there. Fill it out. Fill the bag. Someplace. Yeah. Yes. China. So if you can and, and you don't always know, but if you can buy American. Yeah. You know, something I did, uh, there's been a, a lot of talk recently because of, I think, something Dr. Fauci had said about wearing two masks. Um, but people keep forgetting that he ca the caveat that he said when he said that was, you know, if you don't have a good fitting mask, wear two masks, that two masks are better than one. If you've got a well-built, good, you know, multi-layer, good fitting mask, then you don't need to wear two. So my, you know, and I feel slightly claustrophobic when I have to wear them anyway. So my, I, I went in search of good fitting masks. And so I did some searches and, and, and did some uh, reviews of other people's reviews of masks to see, well, what are some good fitting masks out there? And I ordered masks from two different companies and uh, both of them were multi-layer masks, one of them with a replaceable filter in it and, and, and wore them. And uh, I have been uh, coaching with my high school team a couple nights a week. And so I wore them there where I'd have to wear them for, you know, a couple hours just to see how they felt and how they worked. Um, and um, neither of these are N95 certified, although one, the one with the filter says that it actually filters better than an N95 mask at the lower ends. They're both made in America. They're cloth masks. Um, and both of them sealed up around my face. And the big difference for me is I wear reading glasses. Um, and so when I'm coaching, I refer back to my practice that I've written out, you know, in advance mm -hmm. to make sure that we're doing what we want to do. And uh, so I've got my glasses on and they're not leaking up around my nose, which seems to be the primary place that these things happen. Both of them also wrap underneath my chin further than, than most masks that I've had. These go back up underneath my chin more than an inch so they seal up around my face, even though I have um, some facial hair. And, uh, and you know, it just goes to show, yeah, A, buy American, and B, you know, spend a few minutes to, to find a mask that fits you well and is comfortable. Now, both these masks cost about $20. One was 16 and one was one was 20 um, And I found that one of them, the one without the filter, felt damp, you know, because my breath was there, and it, it just felt kind of musty after having it on for a little while, whereas the one with the filter didn't, I think the filter absorbs, it's got some charcoal in it and absorbs um, nice. some of the, the breath in it a little bit better. And so it was a little bit more, but they were both comfortable to wear, didn't leak around my nose, fit me properly. Both of them came in, in like three different sizes. So you get small, medium, and large, and the websites uh, talked about them. And uh, one of them is Halo Mask. That's the one I preferred. That was the one that has the filter. And so you can go to halomask.com, I think, or halomask.net. Let me see if I can find it for you. Halo Mask resizing. So we are actually ah. out of time. 
Okay, Halo Life, just for those who want to go, it's halolife.io. And uh, and there they talk about the uh, their masks, the filters, the you know, and things you can get it, and the sizing, and and how to get them. So um, I found that to be a really really good mask, and uh, um, you know they're not uh, bargain basement masks. So these are these okay. This is a more expensive mask. I apologize. This is a thirty dollar mask, but uh, if it's something you're gonna wear a lot, uh, get something that fits well and is comfortable and blocks. They've got a twenty five dollar one if you want it in just plain white. Um, but uh, yeah, um, for better breathing and safe safe environments, get a good mask by American. So anyway, we got to go. So uh, thank you all for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody.